This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to citysitesurbanmedia.com. You go to the first 11 chapters of this book of Romans and you discover what mercy. The fact that we were all lost and deserved condemnation. The fact that we could not save ourselves by our own works and didn't even want to. The fact that God sent His only begotten, precious, holy Son to die on a tree carrying our sin and condemned under our judgment. And when he died, he paid the price. And after paying the price, he rose again from the dead. And 40 days later, he was exalted in the heavens. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he sat there as God's man for you. And he ever lives to intercede on your behalf. Now, do you need more motivation? Because if you do, you're lost. If you, need to t- if you need me to tell you that if you serve God, you'll get a Mercedes, you're lost. If you need me to tell you that if you serve God, He'll heal your body and fix every one of your problems, if you need that, you're lost. If Jesus is not enough to motivate you to godly living, you don't know Jesus. This is the City Sites Podcast with Larry Kutzler. Every day we hear more bad news about the coronavirus that has invaded our world. Most of us just kind of shrug our shoulders and say, well, that is what it is, and this too will pass. As true as that statement may be, I am sure this virus will have lingering effects on our society, such as more screening at the airport, such as a thermal thermometer check for fevers. The online things will definitely find more users, as we are now using the internet more for ordering food and other products and other necessities as we need it. However, as most messages that are coming from our officials these days and the CEOs of companies seem to echo the same thing. Be smart and be safe. Safety at this time is prudent. However, I think I hear a different message from God. As we cry for safety, He is crying for change. We can be as safe as we want to be, but safety doesn't change our inclination to change behavior. We may put ourselves in a self-quarantine state for a few weeks, but like human nature, as soon as the crisis passes, we are back to living like there is no tomorrow. So recently, I wondered what kind of change would God be asking for, and I found it in Hosea 4. Here is the charge against us from God. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There it is, a great headline by God. We cannot continue to live in this state of mind and heart and expect good things for our families or our nation. So Hosea goes on and tells us more about the results. There's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. That is America, described to a T. In verse 6, the prophet zeroes in on the problem because there is no knowledge of God in the land. I want you to hear that. Because there is no knowledge of God in the land. That's what God is crying out for, the kind of change that we need in our society. Yes, it's true we have to be safe in these virus-prone times, but the knowledge of God has got to come back into our personal and societal lives. 
We have brought our own demise upon ourselves because we have not allowed God into our lives and into society. He has been kept out, and as a result, we are reaping what we have sown. Later in that same chapter, Hosea says something about people. Without God, they will give in to the spirit of harlotry, a spirit that entices us into relationships that are evil. We prostitute ourselves for greed, pleasure, and wealth. And what is left at the end of the day is disaster, disease, and death. We cry for safety, and God is crying for change. With me today is Sean Morrison, a pastor and an executive director of a humanitarian nonprofit. Sean, it seems to me that during this coronavirus era, we've been hearing a lot about safety, 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 and it's understandable. We need to be cautious and and safe in how we practice our lives and so forth and so on. One of the things that I see from God's perspective is that safety is fine, and we pray for safety, which is fine, but I think God is crying out for change. Mm -hmm. I think when we see these kinds of things happening to America and how we have avoided God over this last two or three or four decades, and we have a a society that lives so far apart from him, and then this virus comes in and it just devastates us, and our response is, let's be safe? Maybe we should be asking the question, why is this happening? And have we violated things so much with God that he's trying to get our attention to bring us back to himself? What what do you say? Well, you make a very good point, Larry, and one that, frankly, for most, their ears and their hearts are not acclimated to hear this. We love affirmation for what we're doing. We don't want anybody to in any way stand in the way of us having the freedom to do what we want. And we certainly don't embrace accountability at the fullest level. So when we start talking about these things, there's a tendency I have seen, at least this is my own personal observation, where people kind of like roll their eyes and like, oh, here we go again. And what might have been in the former days been another hellfire and brimstone type of message. One day I just stopped and thought, somebody said that. And I go, when's the last time you actually heard one? Right. They couldn't remember. Right, right. But they acted as if, you know, another one, like they'd been hearing it all along. And I think my point in all of that is... We do need to talk about these things, not with a sense of where some might perceive like we're angry and we're, or we're even trying to force our will on somebody. What we're trying to do is introduce them to a relationship with the Lord Jesus and to be able to show people that God has feelings and God has heart and God has intentionality and God wants what's best. And so when something like this happens, we need to have an honest conversation and ask that question you just asked. Why is this happening? And what should be our response? What's the appropriate response? And if we can do that without having a reaction, but be intentional, I think that would be a good first start and a beginning. And I've got several thoughts on what we should do, but I think that's just to begin the conversation. I think that would be a starting point. Here I am, Lord. Speak to your servant. What do you want from me? That's all. That's all that really matters. As a matter of fact, my dear friend, when you're on your deathbed, and you will be there, when you are on your deathbed, the only thing that's going to be running through your mind is, did you put your life at his disposal?
Well, I ask myself the question, and I always do this, what would a prophet say to our day? If we had a godly prophet, say an Old Testament prophet, come to life, what would he say? And I searched the scripture and I found Hosea chapter 4. It just seemed like it just fit our day 100%. And here's a couple of pieces of scripture that caught my attention. He said, hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. So he's saying, this is what God's saying. This is what you've been guilty of. There's no faithfulness. There's no love and no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing and lying and murder and stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. You know, basically he's saying all of the Ten Commandments are being violated and there's no faithfulness, there's no love, there's no acknowledgement of God in the land. Well, you know, you have to say America's got a lot of good ministries going on, a lot of good churches, but generally I think as a society we have left God somewhere back in the distance. Absolutely what you're saying is true. And I think what a prophet would do is they would say, you know, stop doing your behaviors, your actions, those motivations you have that are ungodly, that are harmful to you and ultimately breaks up the relationship between you and God and turn from those and turn to God. And I think the key thing there is we sometimes see a a prophet and we go, repent. But repentance isn't just stopping of sinning. It's also intentionally turning back to a living relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And I think that's a key component there. You, You don't just stop something. You have to actually engage a new life and a new way towards the person that God, who has revealed himself through Jesus, needs to be in that context. I think what, though, we also have to realize is in this time, you know, when people you know, they sin almost brazenly. They forget that God's a person. It reminds me almost of how brazen people get when they're on the highway today and they commit road rage. They can do that so easily because the person in the other car who upset them is not even seen as a person. It's just another vehicle that's driven by, as some would say, and forgive the word, idiot. You know, they go, that idiot cut me off. I've heard the word moron, but that's about the same thing. Okay, moron, then we'll use that one. (laughs) And I don't mean to be uncouth, but this sense that that person isn't even a person anymore. It's impersonalized. And we treat God that way as if he's impersonal. We need to get back to this living relationship where we see that he can be grieved. His heart is broken. He does get upset. He can be angry. And he can bring discipline and even justice to us. But it's all for the purpose of turning our hearts back to him, not to just purely be vindictive. He wants to vindicate through the righteousness of Christ, but it takes a relationship to do that. You know, when you look at uh, prophets like uh, Jeremiah and Isaiah and Amos and some of the others, one of the things that I've noticed is that God is saying through these prophets, my leaders do not know me. When I read that, it just, it almost like it glowed. It was so impactful to me. My leaders do not know me. Well, if they don't know him, how can they bring a message of even repentance or even the fact that God has such grace and forgiveness and mercy? They don't know him. They don't know those things either. So what What in the world are they telling people? Well, it even prophesies in the end days there will be tickling of the ears. What that means could be different things to different people, but we've all understood that it likely means some form of dilution of the truth 
and something that is easy on the ears. You know, here's the interesting thing. Sometimes I think a prophet is always perceived, at least the Old Testament style, as pretty straightforward, confrontational, and sometimes a little bit spicy. Might and cause someone who's hearing it to actually get upset. But that fact that they're getting upset when the truth of God is presented, even if it was presented in a way that's a bit more jagged-edged, doesn't that just show how hard our hearts are? If we get upset when somebody is trying to get us back on track to God, even if it's not served in the best way possible that's catered to our easy listening ears, perhaps that just shows we have a hard heart. And I think in the midst of these times, we see things like now today, you know, we're dealing with coronavirus, but any type of thing where there's a national crisis, even a world crisis, what is the response of people? They get desperate, they cry for help. But what is missing is that they cry for help, wanting God to bless them, but they don't want to have, as you said, any faithfulness with God. They want to be, in a sense, they want to have the benefits of God without any consecration and commitment to God. And that's what the world has done. We want the benefits of marriage, using that illustration, without actually the covenant of marriage. And that's that. whatever happens in the practical is a reflection of our spiritual hearts. And so I think we need to be really mindful that are we wanting God to be a part of our lives in a consecrated covenant sense and we're willing to be faithful to him forever? Or are we just crying, help, deliver me for this moment, and then we're going to go back to doing our own will anyway? Well, that seems what happened after 9-11. People got very spiritual for a couple of weeks, and then it seemed like they went back. You know, the Bible talks to us about course correction, and that was in the Old Testament. It was the prophets. They came and gave a course correction to the leaders of the land. The Word of God does that again today. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 talks about the Word of God is, is there to teach, to bring reproof, to bring correction and training in righteousness. And I think that this virus is certainly affecting all of us, and and perhaps we'll get through it. But what happens the next time? Will we change our ways? I mean, just becoming safe in the way we live and the way we go through this crisis, I don't think that's going to save us or it's going to change anything. I think the only thing that's going to change for the next time When there is a next time, and I think we believe there will be a next time, maybe there'll be some ways that that God will intervene for us because we have changed our hearts. We have changed our lifestyle. We have thought things differently. I think there are five results that come out of this, and I want you to comment on them. The first one is, if leaders do not know God, what is the ramifications of that for the church? Well, I think, first of all, if they don't know God, they're the blind leading the blind, and that's a problem. That (laughs) is a problem. They're not only not going to lead people themselves to God, they're not going to lead the people to God. So that's very significant, of course, and I think it's just the the most self-evident one. Well, if they don't know God, the second one, the result, is that they lead people in their own way or their human way or they are leading them culturally. So again, Mm -hmm. what's your response to that? Well, the Bible says in Isaiah 53, each has turned to his own way. That's exactly what Jesus came. It says he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, you know, through the cross, of course, because all his sheep have gone astray, each has gone to their own way. He wants us to do what Moses did. Moses knew God's ways. Israel knew his works, it says in Scripture. He wants us to abandon our way for his way. 
The third one, Sean, is is a word we don't use too often today. It's harlotry. But the prophet Hosea in chapter 4 talks about the people have fallen under the spell of prostitution, spiritual prostitution. So what happens, leaders don't know God. They lead people culturally or humanly away from God. The third aspect and result is the spirit of harlotry. They prostitute themselves to other gods and idols of the land. So tell me about that. How would you respond to that? Well, it's uh, harlotry really is divided affections. You're divided in your affections, so you're not committed, and therefore there's not a relationship that can be trustworthy. And God's a God of trust. The currency of the kingdom of God is trust. And he wants to encourage us to trust him. He also entrusts to us his commission. And so he is going to invest the most into those that are the most trustworthy. And so you see the story of the talents, the one who buried it. That person was considered a wicked slave. That talent was taken away and it was given to the one who wisely invested the five and doubled his investment. And so now that five turned into 10 and then you add the one and you add 11. So God, to whom much is given, much is required. To him who has, even more will be given. To him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. That's how God operates. He doesn't operate in our version of fairness. He operates based on trust, and he invests more into those who are trustworthy. Very good. The fourth result would be the message changes. It's less about God and more about us. And we've seen some of that in our churches, some churches today. Tell us how you would respond to that one. Well, the danger always is when we become user-friendly and we want to make the gospel relatable, we have to be careful because we do need to make it relatable whenever possible, but not at the expense of the authenticity and the integrity of the gospel. We have to remember this. God never lowers his standard to accommodate us. Rather, he changes us by changing our inner man, not just our behavior. He's not a behavior modification God. He's an internal regenerating of our spirit God who comes and dwells within us, and he raises our standard to meet his holy divine way. Very good. Last but not least, Sean, I think the future generations are godless. They end up becoming godless because of the first four. And so if future generations are godless, said they become ignorant about God, and, and we basically have raised a generation who does not know God. In fact, in chapter 4 of Hosea, he says this, because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you as my priest. Now he's talking to leadership here. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will also ignore your children. In other words, I will ignore those future generations. They will not know me. And so, you know, that becomes critical for the future of the church. That's our children or or the children of, of the people in the church. And so if we're ignoring it, those pastors don't know God, they're not preaching and leading toward God, they're leading away, it affects the future generations. Yeah, for sure. And when we say we don't know God, it's not only not knowing that God exists. It's not like they're a bunch of atheists. They may believe there's a higher power, they may believe, but what happens is we start to make up our own framework of what God looks like And it becomes one that is man-centered, and he looks just like us. And here's the other piece, is we lose sight of any of his values, those things that indicate our moral parameters. So we not only forget him, we forget the moral parameters, and we become like it was said in the book of Judges. It says, it makes this statement over and over again, it says, each one did what was right in his own eyes. So pretty much, we say it today. 
Larry, this is your truth, and mm-hmm. here's my truth. There's not an absolute truth. Now it's everybody has their own truth. And that's a sign and a symbol that we have forgotten our God. Well, that's one of the things these crises do for us. They begin to make us hopefully slow down, look at what's going on, and how do we change in the midst of it. Just to be safe in terms of living a lifestyle. Oh, i got to be safe because the virus may get me. Well, how about looking at our own lives through the lens of change? Because I think that's what the leaders of the Bible were talking about. He wants change, not for us just to be safe, but to change. And safety will come as a result of that, I think. But we need to be right with God, Sean. And that's where I think we should be thinking about today as this coronavirus either ramps up or ramps down. It is a wake-up call, I believe. You're certainly correct in that. And Things like this, the world panics and is frantic, and the church needs to do what investors do. Every wise investor that I've ever heard takes advantage of these times when the economy is down and they start investing and they buy up all the things they can and then they later on, they wait out the bad times until the prices go back up. They're opportunists. The church has an opportunity too to invest into the community, to invest kindness and do good. And they can show wisdom rather than panic. We can show people true safety for eternity, not just what's going to save their skin for a moment. If we will take advantage of that and we ourselves don't do what we can so often be guilty of and circle the wagons in fear. All of us struggle with this. You know, we say we have so many struggles and so many things. No, you only have one struggle, and it's the same one I have. Are you going to put your life at God's disposal? It's really only one thing matters, and I guarantee it, I struggle with it just as much as you do. Are you going to put your life at God's disposal? Christ first. Lord, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to hear? How do you want me to spend what you've given me? How do you want me to do everything you want me to do? How do you want it, Lord? Here I am, Lord. Just goes back again to being at His disposal. Thank you for joining us today. Every Friday we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are part of the City Sites network of communicators all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com. This is the City Sites Podcast Network. 